welcome to the Kicksass podcast. I'm your host, John O'Landon. And in this show, we're going to be sharing excerpts from live in-person SaaS growth events that I run here in my hometown of Toronto, Canada. A little about me, I'm the founder and CEO of Hubly, a B2B SaaS company that helps private schools find prospective parents and engage them throughout the entire enrollment journey. This episode is a recording from a recent fireside chat that I hosted here at Hubly HQ, where Margie Ramos, who is the marketing director of another tech company here in Toronto called Block 64, interviewed yours truly on the value of focusing on a niche market. We're going to jump right into this episode, and I hope you enjoy the format of the content we go through here. And I look forward to sharing future episodes with you uh, from these live SaaS growth workshops. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming to tonight's meetup. We have an amazing crowd here, and thank you all for coming despite the weather. So um, before we begin, I would like to introduce myself. Um, some of you have still not met me. My name is Margie Ramos, and I'm a new co-organizer of the Toronto SaaS Meetup Group, or Toronto Software as a Service Meetup. And I'm also a marketing and sales coordinator for Block64, which is a technology and services company that is focused on helping CIOs and other IT leaders make the right decisions in software licensing, infrastructure management, as well as cloud migration. Now, something more interesting about me other than what I do for a living, well, I'm from Montreal, and I moved here to Toronto a year and a half ago to join the thriving tech scene here. And I am also trilingual. I speak English, obviously, as well as Tagalog, which is a Filipino language, for of you who doesn't know what it is, and in French. I had to learn how to speak French growing up in Montreal. Now, for today's meetup, I will get to sit down with John O'Landon, CEO, CEO and founder of Hubli to discuss the benefits of targeting a niche market for software-as-a-service companies and why SaaS companies should be doing it. So Hubli, for those who don't know what it is, it is a CRM for small private schools across North America. Some of the things that I will get Jono to share with us is how defining and focusing on a niche market has helped him grow his own software-as-a-service company. Please note that there will be a Q&A in the end of our live and recorded conversation, so everyone in the audience, as well as those who are remotely watching the, the live discussion, get to participate and ask questions. Please note that this fireside chat and the Q&A will be recorded and will be uploaded on YouTube. Now everyone, please welcome John O'Landon. Thank you. It was wonderful. Thanks, Margie. Thanks for coming, everybody. Nice to see. Nice to see you all here. Yeah, we have an awesome crowd here today. So uh, a lot of people showed up because they want to learn about the benefits of targeting a niche market when it comes to software as a service companies, and also to learn from your experience with that. Now, before we get into the nitty-gritty of targeting a niche market and its benefits, can you please tell us something interesting about yourself? Um, okay, so um, I think 
the thing that's probably most interesting about me is uh, I didn't start out as a software um, person. Uh, actually, I grew up um, focusing on like the performing arts. I went to a performing arts high school, and I got a degree in jazz performance. And um, when I was 21, I, I was I was actually part of a like this orchestra that where we won like a youth uh, world youth music competition. So I'm a world champion musician. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Hearing someone clapping there. Yeah. Now, as everyone already know, and like what I said earlier, you're the founder and CEO of Hubli. That's right. So can you please tell us more about what your company really does, other than it is a CRM for small private school? Can you please elaborate on that? Sure. Um, so the reason why we created Hubly or I created Hubly is because um, I just I, I saw that there was a, a big problem with um, communication uh, in in the education sector. So somebody I had an opportunity uh, to start looking at problems, looking f like for problems to solve um, in the pre-K through 12 um, education world and. I very quickly noticed that parent engagement is like sort of the holy grail. Uh, so uh, everyone's talking a lot about it. There's Twitter is going crazy about parent engagement. Um, and uh, there's a lot of academics doing a lot of research about it and how important it is and how, how it has incredible impacts for, for the outcomes for, for students when parents are engaged. So I uh, went looking for why is this such a, a big problem and really it came down to some some uh, kind of some basics around communication management that, that aren't really uh, happening well in the education sector. So, so when we first launched Hubly, it was really about trying to, uh, so we called it Hubly because we wanted to create a hub. So what we saw was schools were using a patchwork of like 20 to 30 different communication tools. <clears throat> so, um, you know, because schools are, uh, they're, they're, they're businesses, but they're run by teachers. So they're not, these aren't people that have MBAs, they're not people that learn how to use marketing tools. You know, re really when it comes down to it, um, parent communication is just customer, you know, relations, right, for a school. So, so really when you, so when you take a look, so what schools were doing is they were using any, every kind of communication marketing tool you name, they're, they're using it because they're trying to keep up with the demands of the parents and they're patching together all these tools and then every teacher is using their own little patchwork of communication tools and parents end up having 20 different streams of communication, mostly repetitive, 90% of it's irrelevant to them because everyone's just sending everything through every channel and it, they're basically training parents to ignore them. So if you could imagine any business uh, having this kind, I mean it's like schools are, they're, they're businesses and they're not businesses, right? Like what other kind of businesses like where customers have to be there <laughs> and, they, and where customers will like fight through a hundred horribly written long emails to find information, like you'd lose your customers pretty quickly in any other industry, right? So schools are kind of like uh, r remarkably getting, you know, they're, they're, their customers are fighting through this, but for the most part, they're, they're just making their lives really difficult. Not because they want to, but just because they don't know really what they're doing. And, and the IT people that work at schools are not necessarily like the cream of the crop from Stanford. Like they're, you know, the folks that work for, do IT at schools are usually just somebody that said, oh, I'll do it. You know, 
and they know a couple of things about Microsoft Word, and then they become the IT expert. And so, as you can imagine, things are challenging, and they're, and they're still using insane amounts of paper. With with all of the, the truth is, these schools would be way better off if they just reverted back to 100% paper, because at least parents would have consistency and standardization and know what to expect and know where to go for information, but now they don't even have that. So in any event, so this whole sort of, it's a whirlwind, a patchwork of a haphazard sort of, you know, communication structure, and it's just, uh, it's across the board. So that's what Hubly is. We, we took the components of all these different communication tools and put them into one hub. So the schools kind of got one database, because every single one of those communication tools is a separate database. <clears throat> So they have one database with all the, the, the little valuable bits from Facebook and Twitter and Google and, and SurveyMikey and all the things that they've been trying to use kind of put, in, put into one place contextually. Uh, that, that was our, our mission with Hubly originally, yeah. So uh, since we're talking about targeting niche market and uh, we know that it's, your, Hubly is for small private schools across North America, mm -hmm. but what kind of small private schools? Yeah, so, so, so obviously already when, we're, when you're looking at the, the school sector, that's a niche in and of itself because, again, really, you know, when I say Hubly is a CRM, for, for, for private schools, I don't say that to our customers because they don't know what a CRM is. So really, it's a CRM, but we, we call it something else to them, um, something that they just kind of naturally get. But, um, but when we first started working on the school sector, that in itself is a niche, obviously, because a CRM, I mean, CRMs could be for all sorts of markets, and there's all sorts of niche CRMs out there. Um, so, but, but even within the school market, I mean, public schools and private schools have, while they have a lot of similarities, especially around parent communication and a lot of similar challenges, they do have distinct challenges and, they, and their challenges are kind of weighted differently, right? So, you know, when you're putting like, um, so I have, a, I have a, a long history of product management and when, when I build a product, I try to understand for every market, like, you know, a lot of markets need similar features, but they prioritize them differently, right? So a private school has different, different needs uh, um, than, than a public school does. So uh, as an example, they both, they actually both need payment processing because parents in public school pay for a lot of trips and pizza lunches and a lot of incidentals. But in private schools, parents pay for those and they pay for tuition. But in a private school, tuition is like the most important thing in their lives. If they don't have tuition, they don't have a school. They're not publicly funded. So the pri prioritization of a tuition system gets bubbles right to the top very, very quickly um, as an example. So, so, the more, uh, so the more we were originally working with all kinds of schools, we found... Um, we found a good fit between uh, our, our, you know, just sort of our natural inclination towards marketing and sales, because selling to private schools is different than selling to public schools, and um, and that just fit with me better. So, like, it's just small B two B SaaS sales funnels is something that, like, I've been doing well for a long time. Whale hunting, selling to the TDSB 
where it takes like two years to get a sale is not my wheelhouse. So I didn't, I didn't try to go that route because I went for the, you know, the, the, the path of least resistance. And so, so I, we just found that like with the, the culture of the company um, and the needs and, and just the, this fit that we were having, we were, we were selling successfully to public schools and private schools, but we just saw there was this you know, much simpler path through uh, with, with private schools. So that's the way we went. All right. And uh, so what are the benefits of targeting the niche market based on your experience with Hubley? Um, so with Hubley, uh, I would say right around the time when I started realizing I really needed to pick either public schools or private schools and sort of become an expert in, in either one of those um, sales experiences, um, I, I read the book Crossing the Chasm by Jeff, Jeffrey Moore. Um, so if anyone hasn't read that, it's, you know, and you're in SAS, it's like, you know, read it right away. It's, it's, it's a phenomenal book. Um, even if you haven't read it, you've probably heard a lot of concepts from it. But um, the thing that really struck me, um, and I'll just give a very quick synopsis. The, the point of the book is crossing the chasm, you know, as there's a technology adoption sort of uh, arc that, he, you know, that a lot of people know about, you know, early adopters, mainstream market, and then the late adopters. So there's, there's a chasm. Like the real challenge for a new innovative company, technology company, adoption-wise, is going from early adopters, from like enthusiasts into like the, the uh, you know, the visionaries, um, and then getting in, into the more pragma the pragmatist side. So there's a big, big difference between, you know, the, the early adopter ramp-up and then going into the mainstream market because pragmatists like to have a lot of proof and you're, you're coming into a market where there's well-rooted competition and they want safety and, you know, they want to cover their butts when they make a decision at work and things like that. So, so, um, so one of his, uh, one of the main points of the book is when you're, because, uh, you know, he, he, he kind of uses the analogy of war, so to speak, like you're going into a pretty busy war zone where there's a lot of competitors, there's, there's incumbents, and you're coming in to disrupt something, and, um, and that's not easy to do. So if you think about the analogy that Jeff, Jeff Moore uses is uh, storming the beachhead. So when the Allied forces you know, stormed Normandy, they had to take the beach first. So, so the beachhead market is is something that is really, really critical. And, and I, um, I guess it's just like my sort of personality. When I read books that make sense, especially when they have a bit of a framework around them and, and a sort of a pragmatic process, I like to really drink the Kool-Aid and try it out. Um, and, and so I did that. So I, I started looking at the different kind of customers we had. And, um, and I saw that within private schools, which is a pretty big market in and of itself, Within private schools, there is uh, we had a bunch of customers that were Montessori schools, and and so when you're looking for a beachhead, there's some elements you want to find. So you want to make sure that um, because again, you're going into the mainstream market. You're going into a market of people that are more pragmatic and they're not looking to be visionaries, right? They're just looking to get their job done and keep everybody happy. So you want to find a market that is small enough that you can actually come in 
and um, make some influential relationships, get some channel partnerships. And, uh, you know, the more you can focus, you know, narrow, narrow your focus down to understand the profile of, so in this, it, like in, in our uh, situation, Montessori schools are, they're private schools, just like all other private schools. They're, they're very similar. I mean, you wouldn't know there's a difference um, unless you went into the school and sat in the classroom and saw how they approach educating kids. But um, so, so they have a particular, Montessori is just, uh, I mean, it's, it's a pretty large market actually. So there's about 30, I would say 30,000 Montessori schools worldwide. There's about, um, between the US and Canada, it's probably about 7,000. And there's about probably 20,000 in Europe. Um, so so it's, it's, and it's a growing market. And it's, it's a market that's uh, getting a lot of, um, it's growing in just popularity and acceptance. And it, it's, you know, it, it's nothing kind of weird. It's not like a religion or anything. It's just a, this lady Maria Montessori came up with a, she, she came up with a, a, a philosophy around educating kids and it's really picked up. And, uh, and so, but they're just schools, right? So, um, so one of the elements you want to look for in a beachhead uh, is, is that, you know, they're a referencing market. So Montessori schools have their own associations. So you can go to Montessori conferences in different states or national ones. There's a few national ones. And, um, and, but those schools that go to Montessori conferences also go to other kind of school conferences. So they're just, they're also just schools like all the other schools. So when you become, uh, like, so we're, we're well known in the Montessori world now. And because of focused on it, I've actually developed relationships, strategic relationships, strategic partnerships, and even strategic investors with the largest and most influential Montessori, uh, you know, luminaries and, and organizations. Like the largest Montessori teacher training company owns shares of Hubley now. They're, they're, and interestingly enough, they all they they started out as customers. So so like really, everything I've done is like the textbook example of what Jeffrey Moore was talking about with crossing the chasm. And I guess I was lucky that I found some good Kool Aid to drink, but um, but it's it's really worked out wonderfully. Um, and 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 interestingly, we get a lot of non Montessori schools setting up because nothing we actually do as a product or a service is specific to Montessori. We've just created this referencing market. So we're, uh, we, we appear much bigger than we are because everyone's like, oh, those are the, those really popular Montessori guys. Nothing in our product is Montessori. But people come into our marketing funnels that are not Montessori schools. They're just Christian schools or Jewish schools or, you know, boarding schools. They have nothing to do with Montessori or anything, and they're totally unaffiliated. But they, they attend our webinars, you know. And, and, I, and I happen to say, this applies to all schools, not just Montessori schools, because I want them to know that, uh, and and they sign up, you know. And I, but but what's happening is that because we're I'm so focused on marketing to Montessori, my marketing metrics have improved so much because I'm getting such a great uh, because when one of the benefits, one of the other benefits of focusing on a niche is that you know there is lingo in the Montessori world, um, and they, are, um, they do have common challenges that other schools don't have. These are very subtle, nuanced things, but when you really learn the language of this particular, like, very little niche market, they really appreciate that, too. 
Um, so you kind of get the you get the best of both worlds. Um, you get to and, and but you do have to make sure that this market is not too small, and you have so it has to be big enough that even if you don't go beyond it, you make a lot of money. So it has to be a big enough market, ideally a growing market, and um, but small enough that you can go to a conference, as an example, and make a really strong strategic relationship that ends up, you know, catapulting you. Um, so you want to be looking for, you know, th those kind of elements, and that, those are the benefits of of this this beachhead approach. All right. Wow, that was very detailed. Good. And that's good. <laughs> so your niche markets are Montessori schools or private schools? Yeah, so our, our niche is, uh, so when I talk to investors, I do say, you know, we are a CRM for small private schools, mm -hmm. which is 80% of the private school market is small. So. Mm -hmm. so really it's a CRM for private schools, and we have some pretty large private schools that use this as well, of course, but again, um, that's our niche. But our marketing strategy, mm -hmm. our marketing strategy is this beachhead marketing strategy where we focus on, so if you go to our website, it doesn't say anything about Montessori. We're not positioned or, or branded as a Montessori product, but it is how we market. So it's when, when I spend money to reach out to my market, I have a really great impact with really good conversion rates because I've, because I've honed in on a, on a niche that's, you know, that responds, because I've tested value propositions and language and things like that, and it, it's a lot easier the smaller your market is to get, uh, to optimize, you know, every stage in your, in your funnel. Got it. So um, how do you know when you found your niche market? How long should you stay focusing on one niche market, and when do you know when to pivot? Should you stay with them for a year? What if you're starting to lose money after a year and a half or after two years? Should you stick with them and be perseverant and be like, there's money to be making here? Yeah. How do you know what, that this is the right niche market? I would say if you're really giving, you know, I, I would say if you've given it like a really solid focus and, and you don't see any positive, you know, at least incremental improvements on your, on your marketing funnel in, in a few months, um, you might, you know, and, and you've given it like, you know, you've given it a good try, put your solid attention into it, um, then I would say it's probably time to, to consider if you're on the right path or not. It should be, I find that th these types of results are pretty quick, meaning mm -hmm. you, should see, you should see some results after a few test runs. You should, you should start to see some, some, some you know, you want to, you wanna, when, you, when you're creating a, uh, a test, you know, you have to set up your uh, your test properly and come up with, you know, some hypotheses and some some outcomes that you're going to test against. So um, you can be reasonable, but I would say like you got to make sure you're going in the right direction. If you're not seeing uh, if you're not seeing a result mm -hmm. from it, then you know I would say give it at three months and again and and you know full time full time focus. And uh, what are the disadvantages of not having a defined niche market and not targeting one either? Because there are software service companies mm -hmm. who, don't, who don't seem to have a niche market. They're a bit everywhere. They're serving yeah. all industries, all markets. Right. And that's not wrong for every company. You know, I, I, you know, I don't want people to think that 
you should never or only niche always. I, I just think that there's great benefits to it, especially for bootstrap companies. Um, but I think even for most funded companies, they should probably take a, a niche approach. And by the way, going niche doesn't mean you can't, you can't plan or it can't be your business plan to go very horizontal. But, you know, why wouldn't you first grow a very healthy core business, you know, um, before you, you know, you, you sort of move? So the idea for a lot of companies is they build these multiple S-curve growth strategies where they move from, you know, they have their, they have like a CRM is a great example. CRM is great for schools and that's good for summer camps and it's good for nonprofit organizations. And they keep, you know, like these are very similar businesses. They're all different niche markets and they have their own idiosyncrasies and nuances that you have to, it's better if you focus on one at a time. But, but there are also good examples of public companies that do all of them at the same time because they have, you know, they're public or they're just really well funded um, so that they can, you know, they, they have the resources to actually do that properly. But um, I would say one of the, I'd say the, the disadvantages that I've seen first for myself and for other companies that I, you know, other CEOs that I know and mastermind groups and things that, that I, I meet with. Um, I mean, I'm the guy that's always hounding everybody to like niche down. Like, I'm like, oh, here comes Jono again. He's going to talk about niching. And, um, but uh, like a, a good friend of mine, I won't, I won't label his company or anything, but um, he's, he's, I've finally convinced him to do it. You know, there's, there's three companies in Toronto have actually, that have started off really, really broad. And, and it's the same, I see everybody hitting the same wall. They go very, very, see, when you're getting, again, when you're getting out of the enthusiast early adopter market, and you're going into the, in this pragmatist market, um, it's incredibly, uh, you, you just, and you, you waste so many resources trying to figure out all these different markets. It takes so much to understand each different market. And like I sat down with somebody recently and he's got, he's got a decent technology and, it, and it's got a f few obvious applications in different markets. One of them is for young children and the other one is for seniors. So it's like very different markets. Um, there's actually some interesting commonality with them, but very different markets still. And, and he's, got, he's got this hardware and he's got this SaaS platform around it. And he just, you know, he just keeps on finding, uh, you know, new, ap new avenues and new applications uh, to, to take this, this, this technology and customize it for those different markets and different use cases. And I sat down with him, I'm like, you know, because this is a guy that he's very, he's very, very good. He's very, he's very different than me. He's very talented at networking and going into really big companies, you know, enterprise, whale hunting, like he's really good at that. So he keeps on, he keeps on doing that because that's his natural inclination. Um, but I asked him, I was like, hey, if, if you, like he's got this, one of his products is like a perfect, I mean, and, and this is the one product he has, which is just totally wrapped in a box, top to bottom, complete solution, and it's perfect for retirement homes. And he's, and it's selling to retirement homes. And it's just working kind of naturally. And I said, if you just sat down a year ago and did nothing but focus on retirement homes, you'd have hundreds of retirement homes using your product right now. Would you rather be there today or where you are right now? And he's like, oh, I'd much rather have 300 retire retirement homes using this thing. You know, because, and, and it's so easy to do that when you focus on one customer. When you solve one problem for one person, you can ramp up, you can improve your conversion rates 
by multiples. Um, and, and that's been my experience as well. Even with Hubly as a platform, as I was kind of talking about it, so we were, we, we were solving too many problems for too many people, even inside my niche market. So we were doing this for public schools, we were doing it for private schools, and then we kind of, we, we narrowed down, we niched down into private schools. And then, so there's, there's marketing niching, and then there's also product niching, right? So, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, and it really comes down, again, comes down to resources and, you know, wanting, wanting to get the business to be healthier. So we were running into this problem where, you know, we were kind of growing in fits and spurts because our ability to, to, to sell the product was outpacing our ability to get our market successfully onboarded um, because, because, again, our market is, like, like, really, like, on the tail end of, like, late adopters. They're, they're not, you know, they're not looking to rock the boat, um, but they know they have a lot of problems they need a solution for. So when somebody kind of tells them the story, it's like, the, my, our sales experiences, uh, we're teaching them what, that they actually have problems. Like, they know that that's not true. They know they have problems. They kind of know their hair is on fire, because they can kind of smell the smoke, but they, don't, they can't really understand where the smoke is coming from, but they know they've got some problems and they, it's getting hot up there. So we just kind of lift up the mirror in front of their face and then they actually see, oh, yeah, that's my hair, that's on fire. So, um, so you know, our product is the water, essentially. Um, but we were, we were solving, t but again, these people aren't sophisticated business people, they're wonderful educators. Um, so... So it wasn't actually, so we got really good at selling to them, but getting them to adopt technology was not easy. And we were solving a lot of problems for a lot. We were going very broad in the platform. We kept on going wider and wider and solving more and more problems. And then we kind of buried ourselves under, under this customer success challenge. Um, and we, so we got to the point where I said, okay, well, either, either I, I need to raise a whole bunch of money or I need to figure out something. And... And, um, you know, and, and I was thinking about this for a while. And so we, we basically, what we did is we took our product and um, so we haven't changed our product, but we started, we, we, you know, we started, instead of solving, you know, 10 problems for 10, 10 different people, we solved one problem for one person. And so we took one, really the, the most painful and obvious problem in the market that's the most, you know, um, the biggest problem in the market which was one of the things we were solving, which are, you know is kind of like solved by one component uh, or one use case of our platform, and we went deeper with that, and um, and that allowed us to start selling. Uh, I mean, that improved all of our metrics by multiples. I mean, uh, now we we closed we closed deals in one call it used to be an average of four calls. We closed deals like our our lead to close rate is now seven days, it used to be three months. Like we used to have to do so many painstaking demos just to get, you know, and, and also by shortening all that stuff, we also increased our revenue per customer by over 100%. Um, I mean, like, literally every metric just shot through the roof. And um, that's because we, uh, we, we had already started niching down on the Montessori schools, and then we niched down into, like, actual, like, problems. So... Um, so the business just just became so much healthier, and we were able to start growing, you know, far far faster. And, and 
you know, and also the, the resources it took to onboard the customers successfully and get them to a successful place was reduced by 90% as well. Because now we're just dealing with one person and one particular use case and everything that they need to do with our platform, we can now just template and it spins it up right away rather than having to teach them how to build it into the platform themselves. Because one of the main features we have is like marketing automation with like automated workflows. Like try to get a teacher to figure out how to use marketing automation. It's not an easy thing to do. And we learned that the hard way. So, so now they don't have to learn it because it's just they start from done. You know? And it's, uh, you know, they just need to customize 2% of it. So, um, and I can, I can give a whole bunch of examples. Another, another company I know is uh, they have got a project management platform. And um, they're at the same place. They're further along than us. Um, but, uh, you know, they've, they've just, you know, they've found that uh, they're, they're, there's a couple of niche, there's a couple of markets. So, so they go really, really horizontal. It's like, you know, project management platform for enterprise companies. Um, so it's very complex. It does a lot of things. But um, they found that there's two markets that um, when I really pushed the, the CEO to think about a niche market, when I started telling him, like, wouldn't you rather hire people that were much less uh, skilled and able to produce a better outcome for your customers because, because every customer needs to use the product the same way? So when everybody needs to use the product the same way, you know, your customer success team members, which are the people that really, you know, get the customers up and running, don't have to be like, that they don't need to be like 20 years, you know, consulting experience. They can just be, you know, fresh grads and, and trained and, you know, uh, to, to do certain things. Like it, everyone's getting the same thing. And so everything becomes more efficient. Um, and so now he's, he's picking one of those markets and they're going to go after it. Another one I know is a, a social media, uh, what do they do? Social media, uh, like analytics, you know? So they've been, so now they're, they're picking a particular market to go into because, you know, it, it helps on the product, but it's the marketing too, you know? It's like when you understand, when you're like, okay, we're going to do social media analytics for marketing agencies or something, you know what I mean? It's like now you know, you, you can set up one funnel that works as opposed to having to figure out, you know, you know, a funnel for every different market you want to go into. Like building a funnel and, and optimizing a funnel, a marketing funnel takes serious resources, time and effort, a lot of risk. So when you can just get one going the right way and it doesn't slow down your growth and you're, and you're, and you're growing faster and, you're, and there's no end in sight, why, why wouldn't you do that? I just can't think, of a <laughs> can't think of a reason why you wouldn't do that. So it is, it is important on that note to make sure that you're not going to hit a ceiling too soon. So you got to look at the market and say, you know, how, how far can I go here, right? Wow, that's a lot of very good examples there. Yeah, so um, what advice would you give to sales and marketing professionals and also, um, yeah, well, sales and marketing professionals who work for companies, whether it's a startup or uh, an SMB, um, who are working in these companies that don't really have a niche and they know that they need to niche down? Well, so you're saying someone that's working there and not the CEO. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. for example, um, you know, a sales and marketing coordinator or maybe um, a director, right? right? And they're 
they don't really have a niche. They know they, they should niche down. Mm-hmm. But then their CEO is a bit like all over the place. Right. They want to target everything. They want to be everything. Yeah. They want to take over the world. <laughs> I would say leave and start, start your own company. That's what I did. Um, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's, it's really tough. Uh, so, you know, everybody's different. Um, I, uh, my advice would be uh, really check yourself to make sure that, um, you know, you have the, the personality to, to, to lead from the middle because that's a really hard thing to do. Um, and I would say come prepared with a lot of data uh, to, you know, you have to think of it like, um, you know, think of it like it's your own company and you're the startup and you're going to your investors and you put, put a, a, a full pitch deck together for it um, because, and then if you're going to do that, you might as well just go get investors and do it yourself. Uh, because, you know, why not? Um, but in any event, not everybody is, you know, that entrepreneurially minded. Uh, probably everybody here is, but um, I would say, um, you know, like if, and, and you know what? And if you put that deck together, and there's no good reason not to do it, and your CEO still doesn't, or your executive still just doesn't do it, and you know, and and you're not you're you're not sold that it's that it's a bad idea that the company shouldn't do it. I would I would say leave. You know, like what? Like I know I that's just I can't I can't work in an environment where I I don't believe in the people you know, that are, that I'm working for. Like that's, has always been sort of my problem. You know, in the past I've been sort of unemployable just because I have a hard time working for people that I don't believe in. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, so like, I, I'm not the best guy to ask for advice on this cause I'm just like, yeah, quit, <laughs> you know, uh, just start your own company. Um, but I know not everybody can just do that, um, tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I guess, um, Ultimately, that's probably my, my, my real advice on that is just start do it yourself. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's a pretty good advice. I guess that's also the reason why there are a lot of entrepreneurs, right? They just can't work for anyone, you know, like you. <laughs> right. I find it very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can start the Q&A now. So right. um, do we have anyone here in the audience who would like to ask Jono some questions? All right, we have a gentleman here. What is yeah, your pass name, the sir? Mic over. Armand. Here, I'll give you my phone. Microphone. I don't think we need this, but... <laughs> no, we do, because then uh, you'll be picked up. Right. Um, why did the revenue go up per customer when you specialized? Yeah, because um, because you know because we narrowed down uh, the scope of of what our platform was, you know what what problems we were solving, um, and we went we were able to go deeper on on the value by adding some by taking our our resources, our customer success resources, and our support resources, and um, at layering on some. Uh, what, what uh, I mean, I didn't coin this term, but they're called productized services. Um, so, you know, just as an example, so one of the main use cases of Hubly was like as a CRM. You know, they again, they didn't know they were using it like a CRM, but they were, and, and it is. So, um, so, but that's the software component, right? That's the the, the, the communications management. Um, so what, what we did is also, because we, we had a lot of validation that the market wanted it, and they were actually asking for us over a year to provide a Facebook ad lead gen service. So now 
because we were working with such a narrow market, you know, uh, face, you know, enrollment lead gen campaigns for Montessori schools is something that you can essentially get right one time and clone, and clone for, uh, for every other customer. So we then, you know, were able to offer far more value. And of course, value is, you, know, you price things on the perceived value of the buyer, right? So, um, so we, we could just clone an existing campaign that's working really well, and it works. And, and we're charging for them as if we're like a marketing agency working for them from scratch from cut you know but we're not so so that be, well and we do we don't charge like we're a marketing agency actually we're we are cheaper but um but we were able to increase our our revenue per customer by over 100 percent by layering that on top and it's just as scalable as software so so your input cost on what they were paying was way lower way lower Far lower, but but you were you charging more for those services? Yes. Oh, you were charging yes. more also. Yeah, it worked. It went both ways. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very fantastic. Yeah, it was very exciting <laughs> to see that happen. Yeah, literally overnight. I just I you know I created a um, I just did a marketing. I just sent a, an email out to the list. Said okay, we're going to pilot this thing that everyone's been asking for. Um, here's a form to sign up for it. And, you know, and it just I I was just closing closing customers in one call for over twice as much as I've ever charged them. And it was, it was pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> Did you reduce the feature set in the offering after that? Yeah, or so... Or you just kept it there? It's just there, but we're just not supporting it, right? So, and, and they're not being sold on it. So, yeah, so um, technically they have access to those features, but they're not using it. Yeah. So we have another gentleman here who would like to ask a question. What's your name, sir? Have you got negative feedback from the instructional staff in particular, which in a private school, knowing that it's a business, would be extremely unlikely. But um, I'm still very unclear what it actually specifically does. And that's a big first question. But the, the real concern I have is the technology that a private school, if they're wealthy enough for the tuition, they're wealthy enough to track, as you, as you said, and follow their sons and daughters. So what's this big deal about a communication tool that you know, we, you're showing them the, the light of the day? Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. So um, you know, the technology is so pervasive and immersive that why they need an, more or additional or other software eludes me. I don't understand that. And especially because you didn't explain what Hubly specifically does that's unique or distinctive, can contrast to other software or even to other standard traditional, you know, uh, email, cell phone, mobile phone, whatever. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm on very unclear. Want to clarify that? Sure. Okay. So there's a few different uh, questions, I think, in there. So, um, so uh, where to start? Um, so this is this is a, a product that's uh, like like I said we were solving a lot of problems for a lot of people so for the parents and the teachers and the administrators now we're really just solving a problem for the administrators so it's uh, so um, 
So it's a tool that's used by the school administration uh, to help them be found by and manage the communication process with prospective parents that, uh, that, they, that they don't know. Um, and the, the, these, these administrators aren't well trained on marketing. So they, they don't really know how to get these parents into the school for tours, which is how they sell their school. So, so we're just helping them uh, connect with uh, parents in their area that are looking for a school like theirs. Sure, yeah. Well, we don't really deal with, um, it's not education technology in that we, we don't, uh, we're, we're not a tool that the teachers use to educate the, the kids. So, um, so that is just not really relevant. Uh, but if you wanted to learn more about Hubley, I can certainly direct you to some, some content online for sure. All right. Thank you very much, sir. Anyone else? Also, that gentleman there raised his hand earlier also. What is your name? Oh, hi, I'm uh, Simon. Hey, Simon. I came in a bit late, but we were talking to a prospective client, so we have an excuse. Good, good reason. <laughs> uh, my question is, uh, how long did it take you, we, you may have said this, we might have missed it, but how long did it take you to uh, break even in terms of your business? Uh, and did you have a plan for that, or did it just come sooner or later? That's my first question. And then the second question is, what's your overall exit strategy? Is it kind of here five years, seven years, all this kind of thing? But be interested to find out a bit more. Sure. Um, so break-even is something that um, wasn't... I kind of always broke even because um, when I launched Hubly, um, I didn't do so until uh, I was able to start selling it. So, uh, it, you know, it was a, a side hustle until, until I had enough customers that I, I could rely on the sales. Um, so I really started in the, um, I didn't really give my, my history, but I started out in, in sales and marketing in the early 2000s in the internet world. So um, that's, you know, and then I, you know, became a, you know, more technical and then moved into product management. But sales and marketing has always been a very strong suit of mine. So, um, so, uh, so I, you know, once I was able to get Hubbly 1.0 out the door, I could start selling it. So it was never really... I was always funding everything through my sales, and I never really dipped down. I didn't, I, well, that's not true. I mean, more recently I did. Uh, once we hit a certain, um, certain milestone, I felt it was time to put some money in. Um, and so, uh, but, but um, there was never, like, I, I didn't raise any money, and I, wasn't, I didn't really have a, a burn rate that I was uh, working against. I was always able to, I mean, it was always tracking, you know, like head to head with revenue and expenses. All right, and we have another. Oh, sorry, sorry. The what? the exit part. The exit um, part. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Um, but uh, I don't have a a particular year in mind. All right, and uh, what's your name, sir? Hi, I'm Sean. Hey, John. Thanks for coming out, man. Uh, just a quick question. So when you're Starting out, Hubley, what was the process of interviewing Montessori schools and finding out that you had a solid product that solved their hair being on fire? Kind of thing. And how long did that take? And yeah, so I started doing that in um, uh, 
in 2012, um, I think it was 2012, and I, and it was really like the only thing I was doing. So I just, it, I would say I probably had about maybe 40 or 50 conversations. And at that time, it wasn't specifically Montessori. Um, it was just like anybody in schools, like parents, really the, all the adults, like parents and teachers and administrators. Um, and, uh, you know, and then I, you know, was able to, you know, you, you, you ask people and you, you learn all the problems that they're experiencing and then you try to map them out, you know, and, and sort of find the themes, like groupings of problems. So, um, so I just, you know, went through that process. I really just, uh, did everything the lean startup said to do. <laughs> uh, that was really my, you know, I was, I was just starting to read that book and I was like, yeah, this is exactly what I need to do. And, um, and, uh, and that, I just kind of followed it like a textbook. Like that was like, again, like I, I drink the Kool-Aid and I, and I, and I tried it out and it worked out really well for me and, um, helped me, you know, discover a problem that, that we, we had the capability to solve. Yeah. Cool. Cause like, I, I'm not sure how, um, monastery schools are structured. But like, what was your outreach program? Did you send a cold email? How long did it take you to get that person who made that decision? Yeah, well, the, the great thing about schools, well, private schools specifically, is that um, lead gen is really easy because, well, depending on the product. So again, because we're not like an, an education, like I'm always at ed tech meetups and stuff because I'm in the education sector, but we're not an ed tech product, right? We, we don't like facilitate education. So... Um, our customers are the people that literally pick up the phone at the school and have to pick up the phone at the school. So, like, so we, when we started out, we were just cold calling, you know, and we were able to, for every 10 calls, I booked a demo. And um, because I had a good sense of the problem and, you know, and I could at that point speak their language and, and, and just quickly say, hey, like, you know, because the person picking up the phone is either the decision maker or you know, a, a big influencer in, in the decision. She's going to be the one that's, and it's usually a she, is, you know, is, uh, it's always a she, <laughs> um, is, is going to be the one that's, that's using it, you know, day in and day out, and it's going to save her three hours, of, you know, three to five hours a week of, you know, redundant busy work, you know. So, um, so it's really easy to, to, you know, once you understand your profile, you know, and speak to their problems, and you know, get them to check out a solution. It's not that not that difficult if you're lucky enough to you know if you're <laughs> if you want to have an easy thing to sell, like sell something to you know executive assistants or secretaries that answer the phone, you know, <laughs> as opposed to the CEO. <laughs> if, if that's the lesson that's pulled from that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again for uh, hosting or coming. You're welcome. Thanks for coming. Um, my name is Christopher, and I'd just like to ask, what would, you, what would your competitive advantage be? And, for example, if a school just chose to email all the parents, there's a search function. They can find all the information they, can, um, th they need to. Or, for example, Twitter. Uh, how would you prevent or keep, keep the market as opposed to like, having them move over to a different platform? Thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's it's interesting. Like, uh, you know, when when you talk. So when we first launched Hubly, um, again, it was it was a much. You know, we were focused on a broader problem set, and um, and we, you know, uh, it was uh, everything was built around a private social network 
framework. So, and it still is. I mean, that's still there in the platform, um, although that's not really what we're promoting right now. Um, in any event, um, so whenever uh, you talk about using social network type tools to a market, everyone's like, well, why wouldn't I just use Facebook? Why wouldn't I use, just use Twitter? Like, why wouldn't I just do that? And the, and the thing is, like, that is a, it's exactly what they are doing, right? Um, that is their problem in that market, meaning, um, yeah, parents can just do this and parents can just do that, but, um, but the schools have a, have a like, the, the problem is that, uh, is that the, the school is giving them 10 different places to search and um, and and from the school's side, they they need the parents to have this information. Like it's really crucial that the parents know when this field trip is being picked up, or when this thing is happening, or when parent-teacher conferences are. Yeah. Literally, yeah. If they chose to use, yeah. So, also the, the other the other problem is is that uh, schools have communication liability issues, right? So, um, I'll just, just to name a few, well, like Twitter or or Facebook or any of these public channels. Um, I mean, teachers and school staff schools get sued on a daily basis because somebody posted something that where that shouldn't have been. So, these are actually these are quite problematic. So, from the school side, on a liability side, they need those features, like the like our our social network is really similar to how Facebook works because actually that is the architecture, you know that's that's what they are that's why they're trying to use it because you know and they also use Shutterstock and and Doodle and they use like this whole insane list of different tools you see everywhere in these schools but um, because they work really well and they're they're good products but they all have a, they all have some issue uh, so like. And the other, so, but even to your point, um, they also, they, they could technically say, okay, everyone's going to use Facebook, but you're going to do it this way, and we're going to train you, and we're going to stand, we're going to, you know, if, if they were capable of actually enforcing communication standards across their staff, then there would be less of a, less of a case for Hubley, but <laughs> they're not able to do that. Um, because again, these are teachers that are now running a business, teaching other. They're just not. They're not managers, and they need. They need. They need to just. Um, it's 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 surprisingly consistent how how this personality profile acts across the board. And again, another benefit of of learning a particular niche is that like when it comes to like the education world is like. Teachers and, and educators are, they have these very common similarities in person, like people that actually stay in this profession and like it and don't want to do anything else, like they're really consistent, right? Like it's, it's so much easier when you have a really tightly defined selling persona as opposed to jumping from industry to industry. Because if you're trying to sell to mechanics, I mean, those people are so different. But what Hubley does would help mechanics too. Right, but I don't want to deal with mechanics. Like I don't know them at all. Right, so like, I mean, maybe I should. I don't know, but like, I don't know them. You know, um, so so when 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 you when you niche down, you focus, you learn, 
um, things that are really surprising and don't seem obvious, like why wouldn't they just use Facebook? Why doesn't everyone, why doesn't the school just get everybody to use Facebook the right way? You know, but they, they just don't, they can't. Uh, that's a great answer, thank you. Um, I just have like two short follow-ups, if you don't mind. I don't mind. Right, so. Here all night. For example, you said Hubley trains the teachers or the administrators to use the software properly, right? Mm. And make uh, communication with parents more consistent. What would prevent them from using what they learned with your software and applying it to, say, Facebook, which costs considerably less? Because they would have to figure out how to do that. But you said the architecture is similar, yes? Yeah, it is. But, but like, they're, they're not going to put in the time that it takes to, to figure out how to apply it to... I mean, it's not exactly the same. You know, and we, we offer benefits that, fa that Facebook doesn't come with, you know, with the service layer and, and those other things. Like what they really, really want is to be in the classroom mm -hmm. and not, they don't want to fiddle around with this stuff at all. Mm -hmm. They just want it out of their lives. It's a necessary evil to them, right? They know they need it. If they, if they could just completely drop it and sidestep it, they would, but they can't because their customers require it, right? This is a, so one of the things I always talk about in my sales pitches and everything, I talk about the, the difference of the demographics between the average, mon, you know, sorry, the average school administrator, average age is 49 years old, the average mom that they're marketing to to try to get them into the school is, you know, 20, 28, 30, and it's a mom. Like, all of our marketing, you know, we have a lot of marketing data, and we, we know that it's over 90% uh, of the people that engage the enrollment process is moms, right? So um, the initial engagement. So, um, so these these two demographics are, I mean, their their behaviors and their expectations around communication is so different, you know. Um, so this will change over the next decade, but right now, uh, school administrators and parents have wildly different. Uh, relationships with communication tools, right? And, you know, y your generation would think the way you think, but, a f you know, a 40, and, and, and 49 is the average age, so we have customers that are in their, literally in their 70s. Um, these are people that, you know, like, need serious hand-holding. Um, and and uh, we even offer, for, for some of the components that they're using, we literally manage it for them. And just, you know, because they all do the exact same thing. So we basically automate the service layer of it. Um, because, like, they really just, you know, they, they, they want to log in and touch this stuff as little as humanly possible. But they know they have to have it. So, so we present them a solution. They're like, okay. You know, but we had to learn that. Like, first we were just selling them the, the platform and trying to get them to use it. And trying to train them on way too much stuff at one time. You know, so that's, again, by narrowing down the, the, by narrowing the scope of what we were offering to this market, we were able to um, get them successful with, with a f you know, we offer a few coaching sessions with, with every new onboarding um, just to get them, like, it's like skills and drills, like click, we do a Zoom call and we watch their screen, we're like, click here, click there. We like literally coach them through where to click to log in and stuff like, and we do it a few times just to get muscle memory. Like that's how, that's, what, that's our market, you know? Um, so we're not selling to millennials or, you know, 
the, 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 the younger folk. Thanks for the clarification. Mm -hmm. Very good questions. Um, we can take a couple more questions. Um, there's a gentleman over there who wants to ask a question. Hi there. It's, Hi. My name is Flavian. Great talk. Thank you. Uh, I, you mentioned uh, uh, using a lot of data to find your beachhead. Mm -hmm. Early on, um, how did you go about identifying something, as you say, big enough? Yeah. Small enough, but big enough. Well, yeah, because we were, um, and, and this is something that um, uh, we were, you know, we were getting to that point where I was saying, okay, I, uh, I, you know, I need to pick public or private. And then I, I read the book, The Crossing the Chasm, and I was like, hmm, who would my beachhead be? And I was like, and I just started looking at our customers and, and you know, um, and as, you know, as I was, because I was in the process of marketing and selling and onboarding and all that stuff, I just started seeing this pattern with Montessori schools um, for whatever reason, you know. Um, and then so I started, uh, you know, just interviewing them specifically, um, trying to understand, like, you know, um, like why they seem to be easier to, to sell to, you know what I mean? So like, so, so, and then I looked at that market to say, did it, does it, is it big enough? Does it have referencing, you know, lateral markets that we can easily move, move adjacently to? And, um, and it just, it checked off all the boxes. And is this at the time you were doing the side hustle or full time? No, this was, by this time I was full time on Hubbly, yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and when you say we, is it yourself as the founder, or you? Have a, yeah, I mean, so 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 when I say we, uh, I mean, it wasn't only me and the company. So I've I've had I've I've been growing the team since, you know, since I went full time. I've always had people uh, joining the company. Uh, so I started off with uh, like an SDR person doing cold calling and one customer support person. And then it just kind of grew from there. And one other question with the, um, early on you mentioned conferences, you mentioned uh, um, associations and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Did you do anything around the branding, the awareness? Yeah, so branding, and branding. How early, how early did you? Yes, so, so branding has never been my concern uh, because, um, because we, we, haven't, we don't grow our product through branding. We grow a product through, through lead generation. So... Um, what what our homepage looks like and says doesn't really play a role in the sale, right? So like you have to pick your marketing strategy based on how your customers make a buying decision. Um, in our case, uh, it is through a sales call. So so my marketing strategy is laser focused on getting the right person in the school to. Uh, I mean, it's it's been evolving over time, but what it is now is I target you know Montessori owners and directors and heads of schools, get them to attend a webinar. And out of the webinar, they book a consultation with me. And every step along the way, I'm trying to basically say, if you're not a director or uh, owner or just take a hike, I don't want to talk to you, basically, in, in nicer words. So like, um, so um, I lost my train of thought. What was your question? Branding. So, so, um, so, so, branding doesn't play a r really much of a role in that. As long as, as long as we're not, um, 
offending people or turning them away, right? So the fact that it's called Hubbly doesn't matter. Whatever my logo looks like doesn't really matter to them when they're making a buying decision, right? What matters to them is my is the value propositions that they're seeing all along the funnel and that that they think that I know what I'm talking about in the webinar and then in the sales call I know what I'm talking about and that they trust me and that I'm credible and that I've got social proof because we've got a whole bunch of customers and these these strategic partnership affiliations and all of that is what sells it. Um, you could say that's branding, like some of that sort of... I was about to. Yeah, well some of that bumps into branding but it's not, that's, it's not a branding strategy. Yeah. Um, it is... It's, that's sales, meaning like uh, every human being makes a sale the same, makes a buying decision the same way. Yeah. Like wherever you are, we all go through the same cognitive model when we make a buying decision, whether it's a $1 Coke or it's a $10,000, uh, you know, tuition, you know, for your child. So like the, the size of the decision determines how... Uh, sorry, yeah, the size of the decision determines how long that, that process will be, how long the, 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 that, that person psychologically is going to take to go from step to step to step. And really, it's just a process of the, the customer building trust, right? So with, with, with Coca-Cola, right, the biggest brand in the world, all they do is branding marketing, right? Like, they don't do lead gen. You don't have to, like, yeah. you don't have to fly to Atlanta and book a meeting with the CEO of Coca-Cola to, to buy a drink, right? Like, their customers look at a wall of 100 different drink options uh, multiple times a day sometimes, and Coke just wants their customer to you know, spot the red in their logo and think about that cute polar bear in the commercial that they, that in, they were interrupted with 30 times that day. And that's how, you know, if, and, which is crazy because Coke is the biggest brand in the world. And they spend hundreds of millions of dollars on branding, right? Could you imagine anybody forgetting that Coke exists? But the minute they stop spending that money, they'll cease to exist. Pepsi will just completely eat, eat them, like, right? So, so, that's, so, that's, so I've, never con I've never worried about branding because that's not how we make, it's not how, it's not how our customers, they don't need branding to make a buying decision. So in your case with the data, it was really drilling down on your, your, your monthly recurring revenue and seeing exactly where and what it meant to, to get the, to that decision of the beachhead? Um, well, to, well, it was, yeah, I mean, it was the result of it on our, on our revenue, for sure. It really, it was more, it was more about um, um, how, how quickly they, I got them to, how, how I, I was watching, the metrics I was looking at wasn't really MRR to, to validate the beachhead. It was the like the different uh, conversion rates of our funnel and ultimately a gut feeling on how easy it was how much easier it was to close as i started to um really focus on just the montessori market and and also just like because we were in sales calls right so i'm talking to these people and when i started adjusting my slide deck to again focus on montessori schools the, the response I got, even just, just hearing their response, was like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you get me, you know? Like, your, your customers want to know that you get them and that you're there to slay their dragons, you know? And, and so it's a lot easier to do that, again, when, uh, when you're dealing with, a, like, a, a more narrow profile. 
or uh, not necessarily a narrow profile, but a more specific, unvarying profile. All right, I guess um, that is it for tonight. Anyone else have any questions? Oh, one more. Okay, that would be the last one. Right. It's, uh, You're getting your workout tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm making me walk <laughs> back and forth in heels. <laughs> it's okay, I'm used to it. <laughs> I'll wear the heels next time. No, I won't. Take that back. I'm going to edit that out. We appreciate you being here. Uh, my name is Thomas. Just as kind of a higher level uh, type question, just kind of more general, more philosophical. Mm -hmm. You mentioned in your last answer how you prepared your slide deck and your presentation. And what stuck out to me almost immediately in the interview portion was where you mentioned entrepreneurship. So could you speak a little bit about how you prepared um, your slides and your presentations, because you're obviously very knowledgeable about your market segment, mm -hmm. how you prepare that and how you present it, and just kind of take us through how that process works for you. Um, would you mean my sales deck? Um, either sales deck or investors decks or... Okay, because they're pretty different. And, and so, sure. like, I, I, you know, it might be helpful to pick one. Just so I mean, I, investor I'm happy. Decks. Investor deck, okay. Perfect. So, so um, I'll what? So, so I, I do have a lot of experience raising money. Um, I haven't raised that much for Hubley, um, but I have raised for other, you know, other companies in the past. Um, and um, I was like, so, but I, I have gone through some phases where I really did start like building a deck and focusing on it. And, you know, I, I had to do it at different times. Like we were in the DMZ, so I had to put a deck together to, go, you know, to get into the DMZ and then um, to get different programs and grants and, and, or whatnot. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a very similar process. So, um, so one thing I would say is very interesting is, you know, um, important to know is that there's a big difference, you know, kind of to what I said at the beginning, is a big difference between a sales deck and your investor deck. So um, my investor deck says that we're in the business of private school tuition processing. And as a product, we're a CRM for private schools. But our business model, really, we're in the business of private school tuition processing because that's a way bigger business opportunity. And we've, you know, we've validated that and blah, 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 blah. Um, but I don't talk about that ever with our prospects because they don't need to know. <laughs> um, they need to know what the price is, is to, to use our platform. So um, as an example, so, so like, so, but it took me a while to, to you know, learn that the process of, of, of building a deck is, oh, it's like a full-time job. And that's why, that's why I, I haven't done it because I've always been able to, I've always kind of defaulted to like growing the business and I'm really good at sales and building sales and teams and stuff like that. So, so it's like, why wouldn't I do that if I get to pick one? If I can make that happen, I'll just keep on doing that as long as possible. But, um, but I, again, um, the thing that I found very challenging with, with building sales decks is um, who you're doing it for. So, um, you know, you really have to, you need, you need to have so many versions of it. Um, and you really have to consider who you're presenting to. Are they an angel? Are they an angel in Canada? In Toronto? Are they an angel in the Valley? Because here, you talk to an angel and you're like, I'm looking for 600,000. They're like, uh, you should be asking for like 150. And then if you go to the Valley, you say, I'm looking for 600,000. They'll say, 
don't talk to me unless you're looking for 2.5 million. Like, what, you, what are you, stupid? You know what I mean? Like, like literally, they'll, they'll just say, you're stupid, go away, you know? Like, um, it's like, and you're like, whoa, what? You know? And so you just, you know, you, you, know, you learn that stuff, you know? But um, that, that, that's, that's been my, you know, my biggest takeaway from that process is, like, like really really focus, I would say, you know, kind of niche down <laughs> on, on who you want to raise money from right now and do, do your best to get in front, like do your best to figure out who that should be and what that investor profile is, right? Because it is sales, you know, it's really the same thing. So you really like, it's like, if we're looking to raise money from angels, figure out how to raise money from like angels in Toronto, figure out how to do that. You know, um, and, but if you're looking for VC, that's a totally different deck and a totally different approach. And, you know, so and because that person is looking for different kinds of returns and they're looking to to they want you to spend money in very different ways. Right. And it's like, wow, it's really shocking. You know, so it also has to you know, you also have to align it with how you want to run a business. Right. Like I, I, I lean towards bootstrapping. Right. Not that I'm against the idea of raising money, I just haven't needed to, and it's been, you know, it's a full-time job. So until I can actually do it full-time, I'm not going to, right? Unless I make that choice and never needed to. So, um, yeah, does that, that help at all? It does. Those, are, those have been my learning, you know, opportunities from, from, from trying to, you know, hone, hone a deck. Okay, all right. I guess uh, that would be it for this evening and this meetup. Okay, thanks everybody. Thank you all for coming. And uh, if you haven't joined the Toronto SaaS Meetup group, please do join so you can stay updated um, for our next meetup. So I guess our next meetup is gonna be sometime in August. We haven't decided the date yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you all know. Um, so, uh, you know, please join us on Meetup, you know, if you haven't. Also, um, we have a Slack group that, um, um, we don't have like a registration thing here, but we can, you know, invite you all to the Slack group, um, Toronto SAS Meetup. Slack. Com, I guess is what it is. Um, but uh, if you're if you're if you connected to us on Meetup, you know, we we send we send that out as a message through Meetup as well regularly to to join our Slack group. But so I say, you know, raise uh, can everybody raise your hands. Are you all on Meetup. Com? Yeah. Okay. And have you all joined us there? Okay, so all right, that's awesome. We'll keep we'll keep you updated there. Awesome. All right, see you again all next time. Yeah, well, thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Also, a good friend of mine here, uh, oh. Arnand. Thanks, uh, Armand. Uh, I also have a, a group uh, meeting next week on the twenty fifth at uh, the WeWork uh, two forty Richmond uh, Innovation TO. We're talking about the impact of customer experience um, and AI. So if you have time next week, uh, join us. We're also on Meetup Innovation TO, and registration is on Eventbrite. Thanks.